Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, after six and a half months, we have come to the end of the Gospel of Mark and our concluding sermon in this series. Throughout the book, we have sought to keep our focus on Jesus, seeing him as our Lord and King who establishes the kingdom of God by living, dying, and as we will talk about today, rising for us. What a wonderful topic to be discussing on Christ the King Sunday, on the Sunday of a baptism. Compared to the other gospel writers, Mark's presentation of the resurrection is pretty short. He strips things down. He strips away a whole lot of details the other writers include in order to keep the focus on the empty tomb and the announcement of the angel, this this young man in the white robe, to the faithful women who sought to serve Jesus even in his death. I even stripped down and a straight accounting of the facts, there is no question this is a miraculous account. And so Mark establishes the reality of it by providing verifiable evidence while subtly weaving through his account the implications of the resurrection. And so to end our time in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to do the same. We'll briefly see the evidence that reveals that Jesus is truly risen. And then we'll talk about what it means that Jesus is our risen king. For many people, the idea of someone rising from the dead is, well, preposterous. A few years ago, I was uh, reading the Bible with a friend of mine who believes in God generally, but he's not a Christian. He's what we would call a deist. And the barrier he had is the resurrection of Jesus. It made no sense to him that someone could come back from the dead. And he is certainly not alone in drawing that conclusion. In fact, the people of that time would have had much the same opinion. The people of Jesus' day thought it was just as impossible as people do today. Because the notion of A physical resurrection seems absurd. And in response to that, it has become popular in some circles to say that Jesus' resurrection was merely a spiritual resurrection. It was not a bodily, physical resurrection, but a mystical event in which his, his spirit was raised up to God. When we look at Mark's account, though, We have no room for such a conclusion. An honest reading of what he includes does not allow for that. Look at what the angel says to the woman, or to the women, sorry, verse 6. He says, You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place 
where they laid him. Now, if you were to go back one chapter, 15, if you were to read that again, what you will notice is Mark building the case for the resurrection. You see, he mentions in verse 40 that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph watched from a distance as Jesus was crucified. And so they know he truly died. They watched it happen. He ends chapter 15 by stating that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph watched and saw where Joseph of Arimathea laid the body of Christ. So they know he was truly buried. They watched it happen. And it is these very same women who are shocked to find the stone rolled away, the tomb empty, and the angel sitting where the body of Christ was laid. There is a reason why Mark was highlighting these women all throughout the crucifixion account. They saw it all. And they saw that Jesus was not there. And make no mistake, they did not expect this. They went out and bought spices to anoint his body for burial. They're so locked in to what it is that they're going to do that they don't even think about kind of a big concern. Who's going to move the stone for them? That's what grief can do to us, right? We tend not to think of that sort of detail. And it's these same women to whom the angel says, you haven't come to the wrong place. You seek Jesus. You haven't come to the wrong place. You know that he was here. You saw it happen. You watched him die, and you saw his body placed in this very tomb. And now you see he is risen. He is not here. And by the way, if you think it's just this spiritual event, he's going on to Galilee where he will show himself to you. The overwhelming evidence of every resurrection account, including Mark's, as stripped down as it is, is that Jesus truly died and he is truly risen, that he is alive. The truth is, friends, if Mark was trying to pull a fast one on us, if there was this grand conspiracy designed to trick the world about the resurrection, you would never tell this story this way. You would never have someone bodily raised because nobody would have believed it at that time just as much as we don't now. They didn't believe it was possible. And in truth, as much as our contemporary ears don't really want to hear it, you would not have had women be the first witnesses. And you certainly would not have gone to the lengths that Mark does to establish that women were the first witnesses. Because in that time, a woman's testimony was not seen as valid. Even if multiple women saw it, it was not seen as valid. In fact, the, the truth that women were the first witnesses was used by opponents of Christianity in her early days as evidence that the whole thing had been made up. Leading second century philosopher named Celsus, he called the resurrection the gossip of women about an empty tomb. 
You couldn't and you wouldn't make this story up. No one would believe it unless it actually happened. The only way you tell it this way is if it happened this way. There is no reason why you would change things to make it like this. Unless the Father by the Holy Spirit truly raised the Son from the dead, you wouldn't tell this story. But Mark does. It's why Mark and Paul and the other gospel writers mention the witnesses of the resurrection. They mention them by name. So that if you were reading it in that day and time, you know what you could do? You could go and ask them. It could be verified. It actually happened. Jesus is risen from the grave. He is alive. But what does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is truly bodily risen from the dead? Even if it happened this way, who cares? What does it change? It changes everything. We don't have time to list all the different things that change because Jesus is risen from the dead. And so we're going to look at three from our text. The first is that in seeking the risen Jesus, our mistaken assumptions are corrected. Mary and Mary go for their walk, seeking to honor and serve the Lord even in his death. Their hearts are absolutely in the right place. They love him. Even after he's died, they love him. It's a beautiful thing they seek to do for him. And they're also wrong. Because they've made the assumption that they are going to serve their dead Lord. When the angel says to them, you seek Jesus, it's actually a bit of a mild rebuke. It's as if he is saying, you seek to serve a Lord you believe is dead, but if you had listened to him, you would know that this would happen. You would know that he would die and that he would rise again. He said it time and time again, but they didn't have ears to hear it at the time. And in their defense, no one did. Nobody got this right. Even those who walked with Christ, who in theory knew him best, they all had mistaken assumptions about him and about what had happened. Now personally, I find that encouraging. Because it tells me that as we pursue Jesus, as we seek him, we too have our mistaken assumptions corrected. All those who believe in Christ, when we first come to know him and encounter the risen Lord... We come with certain conclusions already made. Conclusions about who God is or the way he works or the way people are, the way the world, the way the world should work. And if we're genuinely seeking Christ and trying to grow in our knowledge and our love of him, then we will inevitably find out that some of our conclusions, in fact, probably most of our conclusions, are wrong. The Marys had assumed that one person could not be raised from the dead. That God didn't do that. And in 99.99999% of cases, they'd have been 100% right. Just not this one. The one that mattered most. 
We all come with assumptions. Many of us come with the assumption that God is this far off and distant being. That he is either unaware or unwilling or unable to deal with the problems of the world, the problems we face personally, and the wounds that we have suffered. But if Jesus is who he says he is, that couldn't possibly be true. He's the God who drew near and suffered unimaginably for us. He is well acquainted with suffering, pain, loneliness, abandonment, abuse. He knows our plight very well, and yet he is mighty to save. If this account is true, the one thing we cannot say is that he's powerless. He has been raised from the dead, conquering sin and death forever. It is a display of absolute power. Our assumptions need to be corrected. And they are. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we learn of his love and what he has done for us, the more that we see that by his wounds and his suffering that we are healed, the more we get to see him as he is, the truer and more complete our understanding of him becomes. And it's a good thing. The truth is, if God was like what we assume he is, he probably wouldn't be God at all. He'd be the God of our design, certainly not the God of the Bible. And so I get nervous, frankly, around people who claim to know all of the inner facets of God and who have every answer about him that we could ever want. Make no mistake, the Father has made himself known in Jesus Christ. And there are many incredible and wonderful things that we could say about him because he has chosen to reveal those things. But we will never plumb the depths of the greatness and the majesty and the glory and the love and the goodness of God. It will never, never be complete. And so if we ever find ourselves in the place where we can claim to no longer need to learn about God or no longer need correcting or or growing, well, the truth is we've probably stopped worshiping him and are actually worshiping the God of our own design. A God made in my image, a God who agrees with me 100% of the time and approves of everything that I do. That God sounds wonderful. That's why we keep making him. But that God is an idol. He has no power. He's no God at all. Encountering the risen Jesus means having our assumptions, means having that idol crushed. We are changed as we learn about him. It also means that we can trust him because he is true to his word. The angel tells the Marys, that they are to go and get the disciples and Peter and head to Galilee, where Jesus will meet them. And then he includes this wonderful phrase, just as he told you. Jesus has told them that this would happen, that he would rise from the dead and that he would go on ahead of them. The resurrection shows that Jesus is true to his word. That if he says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. It's a given. And that is incredibly good news. 
It means that the promises he has made are true. They are true for us. That he will deliver. Jesus told his disciples that he would rise again. And because that has happened, he, we can trust him. He has shown his power, his trustworthiness in his mighty acts. And so what is it that we can trust him with? Nothing less than our very lives. Nothing less than all eternity. Think about John 14, where Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus goes on to prepare a place for us with the Father, and he will return to bring us to that place. Jesus is risen from the dead, and because of that, we can spend eternity in the presence of our heavenly Father. Jesus is risen from the dead, and so as Paul tells us, all who belong to Christ shall be made alive in him. Jesus has gone ahead of us through his resurrection, to make a way for us that we might have life with the Father for all eternity. The resurrection shows us we can trust him with our very lives. What amazing news that is for a world that's lacking just a little bit in trust. We don't trust anymore, do we? Certainly not Positions of authority, right? be it politicians or police or news media or whoever your favorite target is, we don't, we don't trust anymore. What incredible news this is for a world that lacks hope, for a COVID-19 world, a world of loneliness and deaths of despair and suicide, for the unloved and the ignored, for those who have been told and sh- that they don't matter and shoved aside and ignored. Jesus has gone on ahead of all of us, just as he said he would. He fulfills his word. He fulfills his word so we can trust him. And since we can trust him, we have unending hope. Life with our good father and our loving Lord, we can trust and believe in hope that that is true for all who believe in him. We can trust our risen Lord. And we can have all of that. The trust, the hope, the eternal relationship. Because the resurrection shows us that forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. The angel tells the Marys to gather the disciples and Peter. Why is that important? Because those men completely abandoned him. They walked away. They ran away when things got tough. And Peter is highlighted specifically here, right? His abandonment, his denial was highlighted specifically, and now he's highlighted here as well. It's as if he's saying, go and bring Peter. Yes, Jesus knows what he did. Jesus knows he denied him. He told him he was going to do it. Bring him anyway. And when they meet again, Jesus forgives Peter. He reinstates Peter as Peter submits himself and devotes himself to Jesus. He's forgiven. God and Peter are reconciled. 
That is what the resurrection accomplishes. Forgiveness and reconciliation. It's true for Peter and the disciples who turn their backs on God. And it is true for each and every one of us who turn our backs on Christ with every sin we commit. There is forgiveness and reconciliation. Many of us have this idea in our heads that God is is up there seeking ways to condemn people. That the truth of his wrath and vengeance means that he's sitting up there looking down on us like we're little ants. That he's just waiting to smite. It's what we tell ourselves in our sin. But nothing could be further from the truth. It's one of the assumptions, one of the many assumptions that we need to have corrected. Because rather than smiting us, as we actually deserved in our sin, John tells us that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That is the heart of God. And it is the resurrection of Christ that shows us that. It is the means by which salvation comes because Jesus paid the price for our sin and in the resurrection conquered sin and death once and for all. And so we wayward sinners like Peter and me and you can truly be forgiven and live in right relationship with God. That is why Jesus came. Not to bring condemnation, but to bring life. That is why he is risen and why he is alive, to offer forgiveness and reconciliation for all. When the Marys heard all this, their heads were spinning. (laughs) They were afraid, I think understandably. And I am absolutely sure they had no idea what all of this meant. I don't know about you all, but I felt sort of the same way when I started believing in Jesus. What will this mean for my life? What's going to change? Where are you taking me, Lord? What are you going to do? Am I going to have to move to Windsor? I grew up in Burlington. Burlington people don't move to Windsor. For those listening online, it's actually a great city. You should come out here. The truth is, at times, my head still spins. As I grow more deeply in my relationship with Christ, as I'm corrected again, as I am forgiven again. Maybe some of you have been feeling that way lately. Maybe... You're just encountering the Lord. Or maybe you're going through a time where your faith is coming to life. You're learning more and growing more than you you expected or thought possible. And maybe your head is spinning because of it. And you're really not sure what to do with it all, how to make sense of it. That's okay. What I can tell you is that Jesus is trustworthy. What I can tell you is that he has risen to bring forgiveness and reconciliation. And as you walk with him, he will correct you and he will change you. Don't fight him. But seek him each and every day, every step. Seek the Lord while he wills to be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is our risen king. He is alive. And he calls you to himself for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise 
that Jesus is risen and alive. We thank you that by the resurrection you have conquered sin and death and we are granted eternal life with you. Father, I pray that as we live this earthly life, you would continue to grow us more and more like Jesus. That you would change our hearts, that you would forgive our sins, and that we would seek you. That we would help others to see the light of your glory, and that they might know that Jesus rose for them as well. We pray that you would give this forgiveness and reconciliation throughout Windsor, that you would start revival here. That you would bring many to know, to love, to praise and proclaim your son, our risen king. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.